Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Pirie and Elizabeth Zhovkova. It is said that art helps the world to be felt by the humanity, spurring thinking, engagement and even action. In this episode, we meet Simon Butler, founder of Migrate Art Charity, who delves into most pressing issues of today that the media and global society are disconnected from. We talk about his latest project, The Scorched Earth, turning ash from burnt crops of Iraqi Kurdistan into art, the new perspective on charity auctions and cultural experiences driven by purpose. Thank you so much, Simon, for doing this conversation with us. We met at Cork Street, where you were showing the Scorched Earth Project, a pop-up exhibition and charity auction, which truly is a great example of how art can raise awareness of critical issues we face nowadays that need attention from the world. Can you please tell us how the project was born and what it meant to you? In July 2019, so last year, I got invited to go to Kurdistan in northern Iraq. Um, we support a finan- uh, we financially support uh, a charity out there. We've worked with them for about three years, four years. Um, and the Taban that runs it, she's Kurdish, and she just kind of asked me, do you want to come to Kurdistan? And obviously, Iraq's been a war zone for most of my life. Um, so I kind of just said yes, because that's how I've got to where I am, just by saying yes to things and trying things out. Um, so I flew out there. I flew into Erbil, which is the capital of the region. Um, and then we drove out to the Hook, which is like a two and a half hour drive. Um, and the first thing that struck me whilst we're driving through this countryside, it's kind of big kind of landscapes and big mountains. And it's a real uh, mountainous region. Um, but there's these black burnt fields everywhere and some of them are still smoking and it really um, caught my attention and I was speaking to our driver and he said oh they're kind of wildfires but it just didn't feel right because there's too many of them are too frequent and then later in my trip we were having dinner with someone that's kind of involved in politics within Kurdistan and um, I kind of he was saying there's all these burnt fields and everyone's saying they're wildfires but we all know they're not wildfires so I was just like ah what are they? So he kind of, um, he elaborated a bit of what, what it could have been. And he's told me that they think it might be the remaining ISIS fighters who are up in the mountains and they come down in the night and um, put these little lenses on sticks, which when the sun rises, the sun goes through the lenses and sets fire to the crops. Um, so it's all across Iraq, actually. Um, there's crop fires. It's cost, it, it happened last summer and it happened this summer and it's cost tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars for the country. So it's really impacting the economy. It's really affecting local farmers and it's really um, kind of intimidating local communities and showing that ISIS has still got a presence there. Um, so I knew my initial feeling that that ash was more than just a burnt kind of wildfire. Um, I knew there was something in that. So I started to think about that and that really stuck in my mind. And quite quickly, I kind of had this light bulb moment. I don't really know how to explain it other than it just kind of came to me. I just knew we could make paint using the ash. Um, and I've worked in art for almost 10 years, so I kind of have an understanding of art materials, and I knew that black paint traditionally was made using burnt crop. Um, so I had this idea and decided to bring it back to London. Um, and the first thing everyone asked me was, how are you going to get it back to London? Um, which I didn't have an answer for at the time. So I was just outside 
kind of scrabbling around in the dirt. It's like 43 degrees, so it's absolutely boiling hot. Um, everyone was looking out the car window at me as if I was some sort of lunatic. Um, but I collected these big clear tubs of this ash and took it back to our accommodation. And then I had to think about how I was going to get it home because obviously you can't bring burnt crops from, especially from Iraq as well, because there's there's like extra security when you're at the airport to go to those sort of those sort of countries and those regions. Um, so I was yeah, as I said, we were sat in our accommodation, and the guy that owned the accommodation sort of said, "What's in these tubs?" And I said, oh, what, "What do you think it is?" And he said, "It's tea." And I thought, "Ah, that's it, it's tea." So I ran down to the local market and bought these tins of tea um, and poured all the tea out. And then on my last night in Kurdistan, I sat in my hotel room, um, filling these kind of tins of tea with ash and resealing them all so it looked like it could be tea. And I just kind of stuck them in my bag and hoped for the best. And I got back to London at the airport. The first thing I did was open my bag and check if the tea was still there or the ash was still there. And luckily I made it. so then the next thing was how am I going to turn this ash into paint? So I just emailed every single paint company I could think of. I sort of BCC directors and probably sent out about 40 or 50 emails and Jackson's art supplies got back to me and loved the project. So they made paint for us. We had acrylic and oil paint made with the ash from Kurdistan. And then we just started sending it out to artists um, and We've worked with quite a few big artists in the past, so we had a bit of a bit of a name, or sort of, and been covered by some good press as well. But then I just I, the way I work is just find out studio addresses, either go on company's house or um, just stalk people basically. Um, and so I just sent paint to their address because I think once the actual paint is in people's hands, there's an emotional connection to what we're doing. And then we managed to get 15 really really big artists. We had Anish Kapoor and Mona Hatoum and Rachel Whiteread and um, Anthony Gormley and Loie Hollowell. And um, then we showed it at Cork Street, which is the exhibition that you guys came to. Um, and then we sold it with Christie's on the 23rd of October, so almost a month ago. And we raised £262,000. Um, and that's where we're at now. Simon, the list of participating artists you've just mentioned is impressive. What was your selection criteria and uh, what, in your opinion, was their biggest contribution? As well, uh, what were your expectations of the Christie's sale and how did it turn out for the project? Um, so for the, we did a previous project called Multicolor, which used um, pencils from the demolished Calais jungle. I used to go and volunteer in Calais quite a lot. And then when it got knocked down, I went back and found pencils in the dirt where the school used to be from where the camp had been knocked down. And we worked with 33 artists on that project in 2018. So we kind of had a, a base level of people to contact, um, but we contact, or oh, I contact a huge amount of artists. So for that 33 artists, I contacted about 350 artists. And then for this project, I wanted it to be less artists, but higher value work. Um, that was kind of my goal from the outset. So I probably contacted about 150, 160 artists to get 15 confirmed. Um, and it's just, it's kind of different criteria. It's artists that I think will make interesting work. So like Valid City, who is um, from the Hook, which is the region in Kurdistan, uh, the city in Kurdistan I was in. Um, so I got him on board because I thought that told the story and completed the story nicely. And then 
big name artists that will sort of attract attention and artists that have good um, auction records because ultimately we need them to work to sell for a good price. Um, I should mention that um, the money we raise, we keep 20% for future projects and then the rest of it gets donated to our three charity partners. Um, they are the Lotus Flower who I went to Kurdistan with and they work with ISIS survivors. Um, Refugee Community Kitchen who feed homeless people and displaced people in the UK and France. Um, so they've fed, they've, they've fed about 3 million people over the last five years. Um, and Refuge Aid who help people once they got asylum to the UK to sort of retrain um, and get work and education, um, which has ended up being quite good for the British economy as well, no matter what kind of, kind of, uh, derogatory stuff is, is said by the media um immigration is actually good for our country um and then so the goal i kind of beforehand i didn't put a figure in anyone's minds because i didn't want to not reach that figure and it looks like it wasn't a successful project but my figure in my mind was quarter of a million so we did over that which was great um and we worked with christie's and we worked with them because they're quite a young team and they seemed really enthusiastic and passionate about our project and that's really paid off as well because they put our piece by Loie Hollowell as the kind of one of the main pieces of the sale so all the kind of promotion and press was using Loie's work um so yeah Christy's got really behind it and I think that really helped push the sale um and give it a little bit extra boost and then we got covered by the Financial Times um and got some good press from it as well um so yeah all in all there's been I mean we try so many things and have done quite a lot of projects in the past and some of them don't quite reach your expectations and you sort of feel a little bit disappointed. But with this one, it kind of everything exceeded it. Like I was really happy with the concept. I was really happy with the artists and the final result kind of lived up to everything as well. You mentioned your previous projects. Let's go back in time and start from the very beginning. How Migrate Art was founded and changed over time? Um, so started... As I said, I worked in art for almost 10 years now. Um, I've worked for some bigger galleries. So I worked for White Cube in London, a gallery called Lazaridis, who was kind of Banksy's gallery back in the day. Um, and I was working for Newport Street Gallery, which was Damien Hurst's gallery in London. Um, and to be honest with you, when I see kind of working in that, that level of the art world, you start to lose your love for art for a bit because it becomes about money more than art I think um well that's the impression I got anyway and I started to sort of question why I was working in art and then at the same time my brother's so, excuse me <clears throat> my brother's a documentary filmmaker and he went to Calais um so I was kind of seeing this film my brother had made and it really sort of um there's a real contrast to the life I was living, if that makes sense. I was working for a big contemporary art gallery in London where there's lots of money and lots of rich people coming in. And then I saw this just across the water in France. I saw people literally living in tents in the dirt. And it was the first time I've sort of thought that you can go and see this stuff yourself. You don't have to rely on seeing it in the newspapers or on the news. So I just jumped on a coach and went to Calais. Um, so I traveled to the night. I got on a coach at like 11 p.m. and arrived in Calais at about 5 a.m. Um, and I just sort of looked, Googled on my phone to find out where the jungle was, which was the refugee camp in Calais where 10,000 people were living and just sort of walked down there. And it was, yeah, it was a real kind of 
experience that once you've seen that you can't really go back to your normal life um i don't mean that in any kind of patronizing way or anything it's just really sort of changes your perspective of the world and actually everyone there was way more friendlier than most of the people in london there's lots of people speaking to you and offering you tea and that kind of thing which um london i think is one of the most kind of cold cut off cities in the world um so I just, it showed me something completely different. And I just thought, how can I combine these two worlds? How can I ever use the money that's in the art world to help people that are really in bad situations? And I, I didn't want to believe the media and people are saying they're coming here to sort of get benefits or get money and all this sort of thing. But when you actually meet people, they're just average everyday people that have their world's been turned upside down by war or uh, military conscription or what it is. They're just just trying to escape these situations and kind of find safety more than anything. Um, And a lot of people don't want to leave their home countries. Um, This is like a last resort. Um, So that idea kind of started to formulate in my head and quite quickly I just emailed artists. Um, The idea of a charity auction isn't new and it's not that exciting, but that was like the first thing I thought of. And luckily, just by emailing Julian Opie's info at julianopie.com, he got back and gave us like a two meter high um, vinyl piece. Uh, kind of looks like a canvas, but it's made on vinyl, actually. And we sold that with Christie's, which raised £48,000. And my goal for the first year, because I was doing it part time in my spare time, um, was 50000 And we did that in the first month. So I kind of knew we were onto something. And then for the next two years, I just did it in my evenings, weekends, whilst I still had a full-time job because I, I didn't, we were giving um, the, so much money to charity that I, I, I couldn't realistically leave my job to do it full-time. And then I met a really kind of amazing, generous philanthropist who loved what I was doing and wanted to get involved and offered to pay my salary or pay me a salary to do it for a year just to see how far I could take it. So the year before the Multicolor Project, um, I worked on it full-time. And that really took things to the next level. So we got really good press. We got covered by the Evening Standard and Telegraph and Independent um, and staged this exhibition on Cork Street again um, with 33 artists um, like Sean Scully and Anish Kapoor and some really big names again. Um, And then the money we raised from that, we kept a percentage, which managed to keep me going for a little while. And since then, it's just been... Um, I've been full time for two years and it's just been a case of um, surviving really I think um, just finding as much funding or as yeah just enough to keep us going and then so we've donated um, I think about £400,000 to charity now um, and we're kind of in a, the best position we've been in where Covid was actually really good for us um, we launched a few fundraisers through COVID that really took off. Um, and now we're a team of four. Um, it's not just me by myself with a laptop anymore, losing my mind. I've got people to support me and people that are equally as passionate as me, which is great. Um, and it feels like we're in a good, really good place and it feels like things are growing and I'm part of some business mentoring schemes and got some business mentors, which are really helping my knowledge of that world because I'm more from the creative side of things. Um, and yeah, I'm feeling very positive about the future. After going through a rocky path with lots of patience, how do you envision Migrate Art's future? And what conversations you would like to expand on? 
So I think the, the goal over the last year or so was to make us sustainable and long-term. And that's, we're kind of achieving that right now. Um, so that's um, a big, being a big focus. And now we're switching focus to think more long-term. So now we're thinking three, four, five years in advance, whereas before it was three, four, five months, just because we needed to survive and get through that period. Um, we're now thinking about how we can branch out into different areas apart from just contemporary art and maybe into design or into poets and authors and um, something that's going to kind of expand our, um, our exposure into other areas, I suppose. I don't want to move away from contemporary art because that's my background and that's my knowledge. But I also think there's so many more people that would be interested in want to get involved in what we're doing. Um, number one has always been raising money for the causes we support. I try and volunteer as much as possible with the organizations we work with. Um, so I'm going to continue to do that. And I want the people that are working with me to continue doing that as well. Um, and these situations aren't going away. War is just a constant in our lives, unfortunately. And with climate change, migration through climate change is increasing as well. So these problems are going to become bigger, not smaller, no matter how much our government want to turn their backs away from it. Um, and also, as well as the causes, always at the key to what we've done is creativity. So I've always tried to make these interesting creative projects. I don't want to be a standard charity that just asks for grants or donations because I think people don't engage with that as much. And I think charity is in a weird place where people don't really trust the big organizations anymore. Um, and people are bored by it, I think. And people are bored by charity auctions. I've, I know I see it when I speak to people and say, well, it's a charity auction. You just see people switch off. And I used to as well, because it's not an interesting thing. So I'm really trying to change the perspective of what charity can be and what a charity auction can be, um, particularly within the contemporary art world to get people excited and engaged um, and to get people or just people, get people to buy into it. And really what, what we've always tried to do is use art as a hook. So you get people interested with the artists or the art, the work that we work with, and then we can speak about these wider issues and get people to think about their perspective on the world a bit more. Um, and when we get kind of press from these big newspapers, we're bringing in stories that have been forgotten by the media. We're bringing them back into media attention. So, I mean, this, these issues in Kurdistan haven't been spoken about in the Western media at all, really. And to see that get a half page in the Financial Times is amazing because this, if the, these people are still in that situation and it's still happening year on year, but we've just forgotten about it. And it is caused by us. It's caused by America and England. Um, so, yeah, raise awareness, I guess, um, and keep raising money. That's, that's mainly the two goals and keep doing interesting projects. Um, yeah it's just um it's always weird when you reach the point of a, a project you've worked on for a year and a half because the first thing everyone asks you is what's next and it's kind of hard to answer that when you've you've kind of expelled all your energy and creativity for a year and a half um so we're just in the planning stage again we're just figuring out and then obviously covid's happened this year when you can't travel and our big projects rely on travel of going to calais or going to kurdistan um so we're just thinking about ideas for when we can travel again. Speaking of um, war zones and refugee crisis, humanitarian emergencies and climate change, um, how do you think art and cultural practitioners can affect global change? And to what extent do you believe in social impact 
uh, of uh, cultural experiences? I think we're in a really good and interesting time for art. I feel like we're in a kind of a transition period. I think the excess of the 90s and the YBAs and Damien Hirst and Gary Hume and all those guys, I think that's over. Like, so many of those artists are irrelevant now. Um, and I think that's a really good thing. And I think artists with social causes and social messages are really growing. I think um, the whole industry is taking a shift. And I actually think COVID has been very good for our industry because it's been so stuck in effectively the business model of art hasn't changed for 50 or 60 years and COVID and everything moving online and people thinking about doing things differently has it's changing I kind of described it as I've been saying this for about two years actually I was saying it needed to happen I think we're in a period similar to music when like Spotify and those sort of things came in it completely revolutionized the industry and the old um, record labels didn't really know what to do and they had to change I think that's what's happening in art right now and I think the way things have been done doesn't work anymore and it needs to change. Um, and I think it is changing. I think if you look at even a shift in something as, as kind of old and set in its ways as the Christie's auctions, one of the main pieces of the evening sale was by Titus Kafur, who's, who's an American artist, but very, very socially active. And I've loved his work for seven or eight years and I've always known that he was going to be a huge artist because he's driven by purpose not by making money and now he's selling for two three hundred fourth like four hundred thousand pounds at Christie's and Sotheby's auctions so I think this the shift of that I guess that's it it's kind of in a nutshell like the things are being driven by purpose now and not money or start that's starting to happen obviously there's going to be people that cling on to that because people love want, want to keep making money the people that are making money um I think art is an industry that is and has been for, for too long just driven by money but i think that it has the power to do so much more i think if you look throughout history art has been the catalyst for social change and social messaging and i think we need to get back to that um and i think there's some really amazing artists out there that are doing that. i mean the big if you look at the biggest ones like i Weiwei is doing incredible stuff um for so many social causes um uh, Mark Bradford's doing some amazing stuff in America. Um, Ibrahim Mohammed's doing some great stuff in Africa. Um, Theaster Gates is one of my favorite artists in Chicago. What he's doing out there is absolutely incredible. So there's all these incredible artists that are doing amazing stuff. And I just think that's going to become more and more common. And I think younger artists are starting to think about this more than just painting a painting. Simon, speaking about purpose, do you plan to involve other creative practitioners in your project? And who are the artists on your watch list you would like to collaborate next with? Um, I, th I do want to expand, expand it out to other creative practitioners for sure. I've always seen what we're doing as a kind of a umbrella where we can bring other disciplines in. So I'd like to do something in music one day. That was a plan that I've had for a few years. Um, there's some musicians that I think are incredible and there's a, a, a British mus musician called Kay Tempest, who is kind of, for me, is like one of the voices of our generation. I think she, she, they're kind of um, almost like a Bob Dylan figure for our generation. Um, and I'd like to bring in poetry in some way, because I think that's such a powerful message and has been throughout history. Um, and actually bringing more, more words in, because I think words can be extremely powerful. So whether that's authors or or um, poets, I'm not too sure right now. Um, artists that I want to work with, I 
one artist that I should should have mentioned that is incredibly involved in social causes is Banksy, but he's very not kind of ex or becoming accepted by the established art world, let's see. But <clears throat> Banksy was actually the reason I got into art when I was kind of 11 or 12. My brother gave me a Banksy book and that just absolutely captivated me. And I traveled up to London when I was 13, I think, to go to a Banksy show. Um, which had live rats running around the floor. It's quite an amazing thing. So he's really on our hit list. We've tried extremely hard over the last few years to get in contact. We have been in contact, but we haven't actually collaborated with him in the studio yet. But that's one I'm going to keep chipping away at. Um, and I'd really like to, I mean, there's artists that I love. I was really pleased to work with Sean Scully because I think I love his work and he is quite politically active in his own way. I'd love to work with Sean Scully again. Um, I'm trying to think who else. There's kind of, there's a lot of artists um, I would like to work with that don't have, a, don't have auction records really. So they're not right for the kind of auction projects we do, but there's some really um, amazing artists that I'd, I'd like to work with. We worked with an artist called Sarah Shammer last year who's from Damascus um, and she fled because of the war. So those kind of stories where they complete the full story of the full circle of the story, um, they're really interesting to me. I really like working with those artists that have a background story and it's not just someone that's making an artwork um, without connection to our, our story. Um, we're also... Um, when I was in a, in Kurdistan, I ran some art workshops with the kids. So we kind of, I have sat on my drawer here over 200 drawings that we did with the kids. And some of them are really beautiful and really poignant. So we're just trying to find, we showed them some of them at the exhibition on Cork Street. But now we're just thinking of ways we can sort of use them or um, show them. So I'm kind of contacting billboard companies across London at the moment to see if we can get them on billboards across London because I love the idea of sending photos back to the kids of their work sort of my dream is to do it on the Piccadilly screens but I don't know if that will happen um I, I love the idea of s s these kids in Kurdistan seeing their work like three stories four stories tall in London um, and showing that they have they, they have got reach and people are paying attention to them um so yeah, there's a lot of ideas floating around at the moment. Um, it's just about, I'm quite a big David Lynch fan and he, I read his book called Catching the Big Fish and the whole thing is about you have all these creative ideas floating through your head and you need to just wait for the big fish and catch that instead of trying to catch all the little ones. So I'm currently waiting for the big fish. Um, and then also we're kind of, there's, with these huge projects, there's so much kind of admin and after work that needs to be done. So we're speaking to lawyers and accountants and all that boring stuff that I don't enjoy too much, but it obviously takes up a lot of time. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a, also, I, I, I didn't mention, um, I'll just quickly tell you, one of the projects we ran through COVID was called Masks for Mills. And a business mentor of mine came to, came to me very early in April before anyone was thinking about masks, face masks. And he said, they're going to be huge. Everyone's going to be wearing them. You should do artist design face masks. And I thought, yeah, whatever. That won't, that won't ever happen. But here we are where everyone's designing face masks. So we were one of the first people to, I think we may be second in the world to do artist design face masks. And we sold about £35,000 worth and got covered by 
loads of press um, and it's a really successful project. So just before Christmas, we're going to be launching the second round of those with 10 new artists, um, which would be great. And um, that's kind of, we've, that's taken us very international. We got, we're shipping masks to all parts of the world. We got covered by Chinese media. Um, so yeah, and also, yeah, that's, I guess that's another plan for the future. Um, I want to get more international and do projects in America or um, other parts of the world. Thank you so much, Simon, for your time and for this inspiring conversation. You took us on a big, big journey and uh, we are looking forward to sharing this story with our listeners. Mm-hmm.